0: Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 242 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today and our focus is on the God who comforts the downcast plus godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. So every day we go to the Word of God to Hear truth and to follow truth and to seek to understand truth. And our goal is to get as many people as possible listening to the Word daily and living the Word daily. Our our website is bible twenty twenty one dot com. That's bible two zero two one dot com. And there's. Lots of goodies there for you, including a way to contact us with questions or comments, and every episode has a transcript. So there's this illusion that Christians have sometimes that, like, a super mature or godly Christian should be rock steady in their emotions and uh, never let them see you sweat, to borrow a line from an 80s antiperspirant commercial. The reality, however, is that in a world full of trials, troubles, and tribulations— only an actor with a mask on or a stoic with a mask on is unaffected. Listen to Paul describe his emotions in our chapter today in verse 5. He says, "When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears within." So this this should probably not be the steady state of life for a mature follower of Jesus pretty much every day going through that, but if Paul and his team had seasons where sleep was difficult and they were troubled in literally every way by outside troubles and inside turmoils and fears, then you can bet we will have similar seasons. We'll face the same thing. Don't be surprised, says First Peter 4.12, when the fiery trials come. Don't be surprised either when those fiery trials burn and hurt on the inside and out. You're not alone. But our passage today does have some wonderful news. If you happen to be going through one of those troubled-in-every-way kind of seasons right now, In verse 6, Paul says, God who comforts the downcast comforted us. And how did God bring comfort to Paul and his team? Probably in some sort of super spiritual way, right? Something internal that only like a real saint could kind of comprehend and sense, maybe? Actually, no. God who comforts the downcast comforted Paul in a most practical way. Verse 6 and 7 says that Paul was comforted by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. So God's comfort came directly through the arrival of Paul's good friend, Titus, who himself had been comforted and encouraged by the Corinthian church. And then Titus comforted Paul by his presence and by sharing the comfort and the encouragement of the Corinthians. Along those lines, Paul says in verse 13, in addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. So God is a comforter of the downcast. I think that's like tremendously good news, right? He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't push us away when we're downcast. He comforts us. And sometimes the way he comforts us is often by practical means, like using his people. So if you are downcast now, or when you become downcast again, because it's going to happen, you're human, it works that way. Be open to God's comfort coming through his people. Don't seal yourself off from the people of God. Often, regularly, he uses his people to bring his comfort. So let's read our passage, and then we're going to discuss godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow for a little bit. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, and then New International Version. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed. At every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern— What readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you are all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling." I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. So let's talk about verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So this is pretty stark, Paul. It's high stakes here. One way of dealing with our sin leads to salvation and the other way leads to death. So I get, we'd better go the right way, right? So What is the difference between godly sorrow when we do wrong versus worldly sorrow? Well, here's Pastor Tim Keller to give us an example that helps us differentiate between the two. Here's Peter, here's Judas, says Tim Keller. On the same fateful weekend, they both betrayed and denied Jesus their master. But six weeks later, Peter is free. Peter is confident. He's roaring like a lion, preaching in the streets and leading a movement that is going to change the world and Judas has killed himself. They both experienced sorrow for what they'd done. One had a sorrow that led to life, and the other one had a sorrow that led to self-destruction. Godly sorrow sorrow leads to repentance and no regret. Worldly sorrow leads to death. What's the difference? This is saying there's a kind of sorrow over your flaws and over your sins, a kind of awareness of your weakness and your nakedness, that can actually destroy you. There's a kind of awareness of sin that will on the other hand lift you up and liberate you. That's interesting. And here's Pastor David Platt explaining the difference between worldly sorrow which involves remorse but not repentance and godly sorrow that is focused on repentance. He says just to realize your sin to admit your sin that alone is useless. You look at Exodus 9:27 and Pharaoh is acknowledging his sin before the Lord. In Joshua seven twenty, Achan is admitting his sin before the Lord. In First Samuel fifteen twenty four, sees an insincere Saul admitting his sin before the Lord. But there's not repentance going on in any one of these situations. So clearly, there's more than admission of sin needed. Repentance involves confession, admission of sin, and contrition—a deep realization in your heart that you have sinned. Psalm 51, when David is in the agony of his sin and he cries out against you only, Lord, against you have I sinned. And this is really the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. There's a worldly sorrow over getting caught, which Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He talks about worldly sorrow that basically is a selfish kind of sorrow when you know you've done something wrong and you feel bad for yourself and maybe you're sorry you got caught for doing something wrong, but that's not the kind of sorrow that leads to life. That's the kind of sorrow that leads to death. Biblically, repentance, which comes after godly sorrow, involves a sorrow that you have sinned against God. This is godly sorrow that leads to godly repentance, confession, contrition, all of that leading to conversion, a turning away from sin. And that's literally what the word means. Repent means to turn away from something. So godly sorrow leads to repentance and leads to us turning back to the father, just like the prodigal son did in the parable of Jesus. He recognized his sin and returned to his father in humility, that, my friends, is the essence of godly sorrow that leads to life. Well, let's close out with our Bible memory verse for the month of August. August is almost over, so uh, we'll have to choose a new one soon. But for now, we're in 1 Corinthians thirteen four through 6 which says, Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.